Welcome to the Weekly Wrap Part 1 with Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective. The last time I spoke to Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective in Johannesburg was around about five months ago, and we were talking about shares like Aspen and British American Tobacco and Naspers. What has happened since then? Well, we all know what's happened since then. What has happened in Graham Kerner's life and his investors' life since then? Graham, it's been a really, really tough second half of 2018. Very much so, Lindsay. I think when we when we came into into 2018, a lot of people's tails were up. We were very excited about, you know, the new president of the country, or in, hopefully incoming president of the country, and the fact that we would you know get policy certainty. Um, and then a whole lot of things have conspired um, to to make life very very difficult. Um, you know, as we sit, um, you know, on the 7th of December, if you look back over the last. Uh, 11 or so months, you've got a, a top 40 index down almost 15%. Um, and in, in truth, we're not one of the worst performers. You know, if you look at, at other other markets, uh, you know, even a, 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 something like um, Korea is is down by more than, than we are. The Kospi, if you look at um, China, it's down over 21%. And in fact, the DAC yesterday uh, slipped into, into bear territory. So it's been a very, very difficult year. Part of it, driven by some South Africa-specific factors, but a lot of it is just Suddenly, in the last few weeks, a lot of uncertainty about where the U.S. is likely to be. Um, you know, up until maybe two weeks ago, um, everybody was convinced the Fed was going to raise rates three or four times next year, and it was going to be sort of a almost a slow incremental thing because the economy was so strong. And then suddenly, you've got some Fed officials saying, "Well, don't don't pin that in because some of the data is starting to look soft." Um, and yeah, that, that together with renewed trade tensions after what was a good start to this week, suddenly the uh, markets are very, very uncertain. And I think as we close 2018, world markets are probably a lot more anxious than they were uh, coming into 2018. And um, it, it's reflected in, in, in asset prices. You know, a lot of shares, if you look at the local market, are down massively. There are lots of shares that are down 30, 40 percent. Some of them uh, for company-specific things, you know, the likes of, of MTN and, and, and um, Aspen and Naspers. Um, but it's, it's also just been a broad brush, you know, anything um, anything particularly in South Africa. The local consumer feel has been hit hard. It's been a very, very difficult time, and you sort of get the feeling that a lot of investors would rather just preserve cash, particularly because I don't think they've got after the year we've had the emotional energy to go and um, you know put money into the, into these markets. But we we actually sent some really good opportunities, right? Now. Well, that's what I was going to say. Um, there was a campaign a few years ago. In fact, not a few years ago, many many years ago, and I think it was by some company called Pons, which was a face cream company simplistically put and it said first do no harm in other words they were using yeah. natural products and i think what 2019 might bring forth is that asset managers because they've been so badly beaten up in 2018 is first lose no money so there could be a very cautious start to 2019 and hopefully the confidence is going to come to the fore later on but it's almost like a black friday you know you've got all these bargains being thrown at you do you think 2019 will be a black year and people can snap up things and reap the benefits later on I do. I think, you know, unfortunately, our Q2 GDP number a few months ago really set us back as a nation because I said it sort of put us in the basket case, uh, emerging market basket, which I think is somewhat undeserved. Um, our more recent uh, Q3 GDP number looked a whole lot better. 
And I think what, what we're all waiting for, and there's a lot of negativity, let me actually just say that. You know, we've had load shedding in South Africa. Um, you know, every day you hear about another state-owned enterprise that is sort of needing a government bailout, and it's just really, it, there's a lot of negativity. But when we, when we sort of say, okay, well, well that's looking in the rearview mirror. What, what can we look forward to? Um, I think we can look forward to much improved GDP in, in 2019. Um, you've already seen some early signs of, of that. Um, I think we'll, we'll hopefully get elections that will go off smoothly and at least then we'll have some policy certainty. Um, so I think if we fast track a year, just as, as you know, as at the, uh, you know, the 7th of December 2018 is a hell of a lot better than the 7th of December 2017, my guess is December 2019 will we'll have a much better scenario, or, you know, big picture environment than we, we're currently sitting with in 2018. And for that reason is why I say, you know, we may be a little bit early and there is a lot of negativity, but use that negativity now to to load up on assets that I think are, are really cheap. And um, if we are right, and I think there's on balance of probability, good, good, good chance we will be right. And we do see a, a nice revival in the SA economy of a low base. You may very well find you get a double benefit because you've got, got good companies at low prices from a multiples point of view with uh, improving fundamentals. So you could get a nice earnings kicker and you're going to get them at, at, at uh, undervalued multiples. So I think the next six months could give you those sort of the, the, the environment in which you can generate great uh, returns over a three to five year period. But you're going to have to be brave and try and sort of wrestle with your own emotions. One of the things that strikes me about the asset management industry in South Africa and smaller companies like yours is that you only have a very small universe from which to pick your stocks. And I look at stocks that we've spoken about over the years on my previous radio show, and it's been Aspen Pharmacare and MTN and Mediclinic and Naspers via Tencent and Steinhoff and the property market, which became very fashionable uh, three to four years ago because of all the listings, et cetera, et cetera. But because of the underperformance of those major stocks within a very small universe, you suffer. I mean, it's not like someone sitting in New York or Chicago able to invest in 500 stocks on the Standard Poor's 500 index, for example. I mean, I'm not saying that the big bucks that you earn are, are not earned, but it, it's difficult for you, I think. Um, in many ways, having a small universe makes it a little bit more tricky because, you know, if you look at the, the weighting of the top 40, and if you manage money according to a benchmark, well, then you just go and put 20% into Naspers and you put another 6 or 8% into Richmond and you put a bucket load into BHP Billiton and you say, well, I'm not going to try and be too cute. I think the benchmark risk in, 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 in a market like ours is actually quite a lot, uh, a lot harder. And resisting sort of that, that benchmark hugging, um, mentality is, is, is very difficult um, in many ways for South African investors. But I think, you know, Lindsay, we, we've got a simple philosophy. Whether we're buying, you know, in South Africa or we're buying offshore, you, you need some level of concentration risk. You need conviction. You generally want to try and buy assets that are aligned to the needs of, of the investor because if you don't do that, then really all you're doing is playing the asset allocation game and praying that markets will be kind. And I think in many ways, if you look at it, something like MTN, where we bought them probably in in August uh, 16, and then you know that 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 nightmare that was Nigeria broke, 
and we decided to sell it. I think 160, 162, I can't remember. We're very, very happy that we are out of it. And I'm very happy that we aren't in, in, in MediClinic. Just before Things you like go on, just before you go on mm-hmm. about the MTN story, because I want to bring in MTN and Nigeria. Warren Buffett would never invest in Nigeria because he's never been to Nigeria. And when he sees things like the Spectator Index about poverty and inequality and youth unemployment, etc., he would never go there. So although he might look at MTN and say, yeah, this looks like a great company, but it's invested in a company, in a country rather, that is fundamentally flawed. Do you never look at that and say to yourself, well, yeah, we love MTN, but unfortunately Nigeria is not the sort of country that I can ethically invest in because that's the way I look at it. I think it's unethical to invest in Nigeria because of the corruption at the political level, the way they mismanage their oil resources and the way that the population is undermined because of factors that I've just mentioned. The the reality though is that if you're a Nigerian citizen, one of the uh, what is it, 200 million people yes. in need of you know, good quality um, products at reasonable prices and airtime at reasonable prices and, and banking services that are, are reliable and reasonably priced. I would argue your, your case against you and to say, well, because the environment is so skewed and people are being taken advantage of and there are, you know, oligopolies and there's a lot of political interferences, it, it, it almost strengthens the argument why good businesses with good morals need to be there to try and, you know, have an impact. In terms of the argument or the question you're asking me about, about Buffett, I mean, Buffett was born in, in the perfect storm in many ways. He's a, a, a a brilliant person by no doubt, and him and Munger, I think, are, are, are the ultimate combination. But I think by their own admission, they they were born into the right environment, um, had capital at the right time, and it was easy with um, the U.S. economy doing it, what it was doing and with the U.S. consumer and so forth to have a very much a, a U.S. mindset. And if you look at his anchor positions, they are still predominantly U.S.-based. So I think it, just because you, you sort of came out of the, the, the U.S. doesn't sort of dictate the fact that you should principally be invested in the U.S., but I think he would more normally still have been there. doesn't mean because I'm a, an investor based in Africa that I have to put money into Nigeria, but I think the point is that, that the days of simply buying U.S. companies, um, as you've seen in the last couple of years, be driven by – you know, kind of uh, the alternatives are lousy in Europe or in, 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 in Japan, and you sort of feel, well, I have to have equity, and I'll rather bet on the U.S. consumer. I think those days are have, have largely come and gone. But I think what I'm trying to say is that I, 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 just because Warren Buffett chooses not to invest in a business that invests in Nigeria doesn't mean that I would not follow similar uh, – or that I would follow similar thought processes because – the truth of it is, if you have to be brutally honest, I think if you take a 100-year view, the chances of Africa delivering spectacular earnings growth and, and, and GDP growth um, for, for the businesses that operate here will be far greater than, I think, the opportunity to generate those returns in the U.S., for example. And I'm not just talking about now, you know, very high levels of debt and, and, and a pending disaster there. I'm just saying fundamentally you've got a population that's probably going to get uplifted and, and you're going to get a society across a very big continent with a lot of population. You're going to pe- get people uplifted. That's an exciting prospect. So if Buffett chooses not to play there, that's absolutely 
absolutely his prerogative. But it's been it, – he followed a tried and tested model about principally investing in the U.S. and, and consumer-oriented stocks. But I would argue that just because Nigeria is a difficult place doesn't mean you have to say, well, forever and a day I'm not going to invest there because it's corrupt. Because you could argue a similar sort of logic in South Africa. But I do think, to your point, that you've got to be very, very careful. And I think MTN is a case in point of a company who really is bearing the brunt of – political interference in a country that's trying to balance budget deficits. And, but you've just and uh, you've just completely destroyed your argument. I mean, that's the whole point. Uh, it's a great company and it's a great potential in the future, or rather Nigeria, the company, uh, sorry, the country in which it does a lot of its business is so corrupt and unfortunately it's been corrupt for a long, long time. And why should anybody with a whole universe of stocks, whether it be in Africa, South Africa, Europe, the United States of America, Japan, Etc. Why should they even look at MTN? Because it's hung its hat on Nigeria. Just get rid of it. We, yep. we don't live long enough, unfortunately, to have the luxury of being in a country like Nigeria or Iran. Yeah, but I think what, what I'm trying to say, Lindsay, is I think a company like MTN is vulnerable because it's a, it's an easy target because they've they've invested obscene money into into Nigeria. And for them to walk away from MTN Nigeria is is almost unthinkable. Although there have been many times in the last two years when I thought that actually would have been the sensible strategy, quite frankly. If you look at other companies like ShopRite, for example, who who are able to operate in that difficult environment and, and take calculated bets. And ShopRite was a case in point because they were able to fund the the purchase of, of stock in an environment courtesy of South African cash flows in an environment where, where other businesses were who, who were relying on, on internal Nigerian cash flows were unable to do it. Now I use your argument against you. ShopRite is able to use the, the financial resources they've got. They've made a principal decision that strategically they would like to be there. They they say it's actually a national interest to have food on the shelves, to have foreign goods on the shelves, yes. and to to not use the, the 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 blockade, if you want to call it that, of you know foreign currency um, restrictions. So I, I agree. With, I think we're saying the same thing. I we we cut our MTN position because we felt the MTN handling of the Nigerian situation was appalling. I think in many ways they brought the original Rika six million SIM card story on themselves. The more recent one in terms of the expatriation of foreign profits and dividends, I think that is spurious. But the point is that Nigeria is still an interesting and an exciting market for people who have got the uh, the, the strategic vision and also the prudence to to handle those those markets carefully. It does mean you don't go and throw your you know your your everything at a, at an economy like that. And I think you've got to manage the the political risk very carefully. Another case in point is is Group Five, which has almost been destroyed because of that uh, power plant in in Ghana. So yeah, it's it, it, it's a difficult one. But I think just because environments are difficult to operate in doesn't automatically mean you should not invest in them because sometimes the opportunities outweigh the risks. I've got a very good example. I was speaking to a Dutch gentleman who's a very successful businessman in Rotterdam. And I said to him, where are you going for your holidays? He said, well, I'm going to, I don't know, someplace in Europe. And I said, why don't you go, it's the European winter, why don't you go to Africa or somewhere like that? He says, I cannot justify going to a country that has such inequality. I cannot, at my age, risk being ripped off, risk violence towards my family or myself. I don't like the fact that there are poor people and I'm a rich person. I don't want to go there. And it's very similar in the investment world. I 
speak to people like Jim Rogers and Peter Schiff, and they say the same thing. He said, Lindsay, you can't live in a place or invest in a place that has such inequality. And it really, it's starting to, as I get older, it really starts to bug me, Graham. Yeah. But th- th- what I'm saying is by investing in those countries in, with, with that inequality, you actually create the opportunity to balance, you know. So you can you can narrow the Gini coefficient by investing in, in those markets and taking advantage of, of the inherent potential. Because if everybody said, okay, well, we're not going to invest in, in unjust societies, the injustice just per, 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 you know, continues into perpetuity. Whereas if, if, if retailers and financial services companies can say, well, um, let us offer reasonable priced goods and, and financial services into those economies, you create an opportunity to to level the you know le- level the, the the economy and to to maybe in some way rebalance the the uh, imbalances that exist in income. So I think, uh, but again, the point is, if you are a U.S. investor and you said I, I want to invest some of my money in in markets other than the U.S. You may say, right, I'm going to put so much into Germany, I'm going to put so much into into the UK, and then in, in diminishing quantities, you're going to put some into Japan and China, and you're going to have a very small allocation to, to South Africa probably. But I think for many other investors, they've done very, very well by, by having – the courage to invest in in businesses that operate in different um, markets and and operate in in, in less predictable business uh, environments. If you just think about the incredible success story that is Apple, that was, you know, a few years ago on the ropes and managed to to stage a massive comeback, and they still are selling uh, premium products um, into into um, both developed and developing economies. And the reality of it is that 10 or 15 years ago, nobody would really have given them, you know, a fighting chance to have become the biggest company in the world. They've obviously lost that, that badge recently. But to the, Microsoft, the point yes. is that people, yeah, but people who said, well, I'm going to invest only in Coca-Cola and General Electric and Johnson & Johnson and um, Procter & Gamble have probably not seen the kinds of returns that, that others would have who had the courage to invest in, in, in disruptive business models or or in different geographies. And if you just think about Tencent, obviously, as a, as a case in point, is, is the share price has been hit really hard. Um, and a, a lot of people questioning the whole gaming model. But the reality is it wasn't long ago that Tencent was one of the biggest companies in the world. And still, actually, services a market with incredible growth potential. It's uh, offering new services. It's diversifying its business model. So, if you have to be honest, would you rather be in Tencent or would you rather be in in Apple? If you take a ten-year view and you sort of take a fairly positive view on on the the path of the Chinese economy. So, simply to say, well, you know, I don't trust China. I don't trust the debt. I don't trust a whole lot of things. And you know, for that reason, and I don't, I don't like the fact that. You know the people in the country are not free to do as they choose. Mm. You you could miss out on a great opportunity, but I also believe that Tencent will make a positive contribution to society in China. And by by denying that business the capital, um, you you almost deny the progress in that economy. So yeah, it's it's a complicated one. But I think it's very complicated. And also ESG. Sorry, Graham, I have to interrupt you. Uh, ESG. I spoke to somebody yesterday at a well-known fund management company, a global player, global head of ESG, and that's environment, environmental, social, and governance. And we, we spoke, and I, I think to myself, well, 
on a certain level, I agree with it, but on another level, I don't. But on the other hand, I would, I would really balk at investing in British American tobacco simply because as an ex-smoker, I know what it did to me. And as a reformed non-smoker, if you see what I mean, I can't invest in that sort of company because I see the young people in the Philippines um, uh, smoking cigarettes that are produced by that company. So I, I put that out of my portfolio. And I also look at companies that invest in countries that unfortunately have a re sort of repressive regime. And I, I can't do that. Maybe it's because I'm getting old, Graham, but ESG versus returns, it's a really interesting argument. Let's look forward to 2019 because otherwise we're going to uh, go off script if you if you see what I mean. Again. Uh, let's see how exactly, again. Briefly, three and a half minutes, 2019. Are you still looking at the Aspens, the MTNs, the Mediclinics, the Naspers's, the Steinhoffs, the property sector of the JSE? Are you going to lick your wounds and say, well, actually, this is our Black Friday transformed into a year? In other words, Black 2019. What is your attitude towards the year that is almost upon us? Okay, so the first thing is we don't hold MTN, we don't hold MediClinic. Um, Steinhoff, well fortunately, we're able, able to put that behind us. In in the case of Aspen, I think it's a it's, it's a good business that is potentially being troubled by growing up. And I think there are lots of, of, of shareholders that are almost like spurned lovers, you know, who, who are, are really angry with them because they thought they were going to be this inter-perpetuity 30% growth story. We don't invest in businesses only that, that generate 30% earnings growth. We invest in businesses that we believe are going to deliver good, solid returns and, 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 and are likely to be stronger five years from now than they are currently. And I think Aspen, overridingly, is one of those, those businesses. Um, I think it's, it, it's also suffering from, from um, the fact that, that the market is battling to understand what's really driving it because they're operating in so many countries and in so many currencies and with so many products. So we still believe that, that Aspen is a, a fundamentally good business. And I think the desire that they have to try and reduce the cost of, of, of quality medication will ultimately stand them in good stead. In, in the case of, of um, you know, how we're positioning our portfolios, yeah, we, we're adding NAS at these levels. We're adding the South African banks. We think they're very, very cheap. Yes. Um, but equally, you know, somebody like Sassel, who has come down from 530 Rand to 420 Rand, we think on a, on a year or two-year view is offering good value. Um, and even somebody like BHP Billiton, which has come back quite nicely more recently. And, you know, if commodity prices come off, they've got such low-cost assets that they should be shielded. So I think the point is that um, – and there are, of course, a whole lot of small caps that you and I have spoken about previously on radio that, frankly, have actually held up very well over the, the sort of more recent turmoil – so I think that's the way to do it. You've just got to cherry pick. You've got to stock pick. You've got to be very aware of the price and not let other people, like in the case of Aspen, give you an opinion on the company. Form your own opinion and decide for yourself what the value is because those same people who now are probably selling it at 150 rand are the ones who are telling you to buy it at 420 rand. So, you know, the truth lies somewhere in between. My best guess is that Aspen is probably worth 200 rand yeah. a share. So at 140, I think they're decent returns. But equally, I think you can make very good money by buying South African banks on, let's call them um, eight or nine uh, forward uh, price earnings multiples and get a 6% dividend yield. Um, and there are lots of sort of unloved small caps that are probably trading at 50% 
or less as a percentage of net asset value or intrinsic value, and we've just got to be patient. But, you know, it's, it's easier to buy eight PEs than it is to buy 14 PEs with the potential of an improving economic outlook in 2019 as opposed to praying that everything keeps going courtesy of a very accommodative monetary policy or an enabling U.S. economy. So, yeah, we, we're actually quite excited. Um, in terms of the property stocks, you asked the question. We had a fairly good look at them a while ago, and we concluded that there are quite a few disruptive forces taking place, and, and, and we actually can't see real distribution growth. Um, so although the yields are looking better, we think that they'll probably um, at best just flatline for a while, and you're probably better off, as we've been saying for some time, to put the money into, say, listed pref shares or cash as an alternative, or poss- possibly even listed equity that's giving you, you know, better better after-tax uh, returns. So, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of a mixed bag, I suppose, but um, I think you've just got to be very focused on the underlying assets that you're buying and not going to be, become swept away with the emotion either way. Graham Kerner, thanks so much for your extended analysis of the last six months, the last year, and looking forward to 2019. That's Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective in Johannesburg.